0: I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. If you're looking for ransom, I can tell you I don't have money. But what I do have are a very particular set of skills. Skills that I have acquired over a very long career. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. If you let my daughter go now, that'll be the end of it. I will not look for you. I will not pursue you. But if you don't, I will look for you. I will find you. And I will kill you taken.
1: You're listening to Writing Roots, brought to you by Aspen House Publishing.
0: Welcome to Writing Roots. I'm Lee Hull. And I'm Lieses. Esses. And apologies to Liam Neeson for that one. No one can deliver it as well as he did. <laughs> Today's topic and emotional state that we're talking about is one that I wish I saw performed better in a lot of fiction. We are talking about the emotional state of needing vengeance.
1: Like Courage, this is as much a plot point as character design, that desire, that hunt for vengeance. A very good representation of this is Inigo Montoya from The Princess Bride. We used the Princess Bride quote in our last episode, so we didn't want to do one again. But that is a very good example of how it is both a plot point and character design.
0: I would very much encourage you, the author, to consider fulfilling vengeance as being a good thing, especially in the case of Enigo Montoya, where it is the sole thing defining his character. It can be kind of a letdown, at least from my reading style, for the character to go, oh, well, that wasn't worth it all along. Enigo Montoya was like, yes, this is totally worth it. <laughs>
1: If you do want to write that kind of character where they pursue the vengeance, they achieve the vengeance, and they're happy with it, you can go listen to our anti hero episode. It falls very nicely into that same category if you're looking for other elements to add to this character beyond just vengeance. So let's get into vengeance as an emotion, as a plot point, as a character development tool. It's going to look a lot like retribution, retaliation and justice for a wrong done for them in the past.
0: Sometimes it'll be a little bit shorter, like I'm getting revenge for this person embarrassing me last period in school, so I'm going to put chocolate on her seat when she's wearing white pants. This is a very short kind of vengeance, so that would be a tit for tat, a comeback, someone getting even, as compared to something longer would be a uh, comeuppance, something that they had earned being a terrible person over a long period of time.
1: The opposite of vengeance is going to be forgiveness and atonement, those ideas of letting go of the hurt and the anger and being the bigger person.
0: So the root emotion I feel is most obvious in this particular episode compared to the rest of the month. The root emotion is
1: it's a response to an injustice that happened to them in the past. And that often occurs because there is either guilt or shame over this injustice that occurred. It put them in a very bad light. And now they want to go out and show the world and show that person that they are better and that they can defeat them. Or it can be anger. That Inigo Montoya, you killed my father, prepare to die kind of anger.
0: Guilt, shame, and anger tend to be very fast emotions. If you stretch those emotions out over a long period of time, it can morph into either bitterness or vengeance, sometimes both. Especially the great vengeance stories, there is some stewing that happens prior to the solution of the vengeance.
1: And this one comes with a wide variety of energies depending on the setting and the timeline, I think, for vengeance and how that's going to occur. If you have a long-term vengeance plan, it is going to be a low-energy but high-intensity sort of thing where there's a lot of tension and a lot of emotion in it but it's not acting out in bursts all of the time. Our opener is a great example of that,
0: where he just calmly said, I'm going to kill you. You can get out of it by not doing what you're doing, but I'm probably going to kill you. The actual conflict, high intensity, all of the feelings of vengeance prior
1: to that are very steady, critical but stable. As an author, you need to keep in mind that readers don't often get true vengeance in their real life. So we look for it in fiction. It's something that we want to experience in some ways because we've all been unjustly treated. We've all been the victim in some way, whether that is a victim of society, a victim of circumstance, or there is actually a person who has victimized us in some kind of way. And seeking vengeance is a very difficult process because there's consequences if you actually try to go out and seek street justice. And there are a lot of times where justice doesn't come through in the end. So we want to see stories where vengeance, where this idea of this angry justice can actually be fulfilled and carried all the way through because it helps us release some of those built up tensions in ourselves. When we talk about the precursors to this
0: emotion, I feel like, again, this is fairly obvious, that trauma in the past, the more distant it is, I feel like the more successful the vengeance story is. Batman and Eagle Montoya, these kind of characters, where they had a childhood trauma that they witnessed, and then they spend years stewing in this need for vengeance and training and making themselves better for the sole
1: purpose of carrying out this vengeance. And that is often because they are feeling some kind of survivor's guilt. If all of these people had a good form of therapy, they probably wouldn't have gone through with these plans because they would have been able to take care of that survivor's guilt and realized that maybe it's not worth it. But in the right story with the right character in the right setting, it is absolutely worth it. Go let them have their vengeance that they have been working towards for years. Just because they have a love interest does not mean the vengeance plan is over. Okay? Got it? Good. Kill the lover, they're probably a plant anyway. (laughs) This
0: will often present in a fascinating and unique way per character, depending on the type of vengeance that they're going to get. So if your character was supposed to be heir to this big company empire, and they get booted out by the board... They're going to learn a specific set of skills to be the best person in charge of this company possible so they can sneak back in and get their vengeance by firing everyone on the board.
1: Sometimes they skills get a little bit more, you know, violent. Yay. Inigo Montoya, he learned to fight and sword fight and he learned all of the forms and styles so that he could fulfill his quest of vengeance.
0: One of the interesting things that you often see in these characters is they tend to be fairly well traveled. Batman and Eagle Montoya, those types of characters, even though they have a very sole purpose in what they're doing in life. This is often they're acquiring the skills by going to Razagul and these other places so that they can then fulfill their vengeance. But Inigo Montoya had gone all sorts of places in order to learn to fight, get enough money so he can accomplish his goals. That traveling tends to be key in a lot of these vengeance stories.
1: They'll pick up skills. They'll pick up knowledge. They'll pick up clues, maybe, to who to find and how to fulfill their vengeance. So how do you take this idea of vengeance and a good character base and stick it into a story? And how do you represent that? Obviously, you're going to need to show some kind of backstory. One of the best ways to do this is actually have two characters talking about the vengeance arc, either behind their back or... One character talking to the person pursuing vengeance, an ally, to find out, okay, what exactly are you doing? That was done really well in The Princess Bride. You can also represent it in certain habits that the main character has, and this can be a good way to introduce the conversation that begins. So the example of Inigo Montoya, he has a habit of asking about the number of fingers the person has on their hand. So if he knows that the person only has five fingers on his right hand, then he's good to go. He doesn't need to take that person out.
0: Something you also should consider about your character and how they approach life is what they think about forgiveness. Because it could be that nobody is forgivable. Nobody is redeemable. And I am the hand of justice because that's the only way that fairness can be brought back into balance in the world. Or, especially if there's that survivor's guilt in them, everyone else is forgivable except for me and except for that bad guy. Understanding how your character views forgiveness will be a very interesting facet of your vengeance character.
1: And of course, you need to decide before you start writing whether you want it to be a satisfying ending and that vengeance is fulfilled and the character pursuing the vengeance gets to live happily ever after, or whether you want to leave that character empty. Either that's the, they never get to fulfill their vengeance or they do it and they have that, well, that didn't solve my problems kind of moment. I think both of us agree that particular route is very overrun, but it's not a bad thing if you do it correctly. Especially if you have some sort of morality to your story and some
0: sort of high ground that you're taking when communicating to your readers of it's wrong to kill people even if it's in vengeance. The point is satisfying your readers. There is that hunger, that desire for vengeance especially in fiction, because we don't get it in real life. Therefore, make sure you satisfy it in yourself as you're writing also, because it's not going to be a great book unless you write selfishly.
1: If you have a question or comment for our hosts or a topic you'd like us to cover, send us an email at writingroots@aspenhousepublishing.com, or find us on Facebook by searching for Aspen House Publishing.